so yeah, it kind of seemed like um, an unrealistic goal, like to find a career in the music industry and make money and, and turn it into a profession. But I just felt like there were people in my life that were guiding me or like experiences in my life that were like guiding me onto that path. And so I just kind of had to take that risk. Welcome to Off Key, a member on Labs podcast about music professionals for non-music professionals. I'm your host, Linda Arnold. Join me, an industry novice, in conversations with members of Canada's music industry to learn more about their roles and how they first got started in the music business. Infatuated by your vibe, I can tell that you are different. This week on Off Key, I'm chatting with Raquel Villagante, who's an AR rep for SOCAM. We talked about how she arrived at her role at SOCAM from getting a psych degree at UBC to working as a settlement worker to also working for Nimbus School of Recording and Media and everything in between. We also talked about the importance of mentorship and the role that mentors have had on her career. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. They really do help. And let's get right into my conversation with Raquel Villagante. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So I grew up in Surrey, British Columbia. I, uh, I was born in Vancouver, but um, spent most of my childhood in Surrey, BC. Do you know where, do you know where Surrey is? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have been once to go with my dad when I was younger because he had a warehouse or something there for his business. <laughs> yep. Most of my childhood memories and teenage uh, memories were in the suburbs of Surrey, BC. Did you, when you were growing up, then spend a lot of time in Vancouver on like the weekends and things like that? Or did you stay kind of mostly in Surrey? I definitely spent more of my summers in Vancouver because my mom actually worked right by Stadium Station. And so she worked in the government building um, above Library Square. So a lot of my summers were actually, this sounds super nerdy, but I was like in the VPL in the city um but yeah like most of my my school years were obviously um spent in surrey and then i would like take the train with my mom to work and like explore the vpl and oftentimes found myself in like the magazine section or uh looking at cds back when people used to listen to cds yeah, fun times, fun summers. <laughs> I I love the library. I know. I I sound so nerdy, but I yeah, I like lived in the VPL most I summers. Mean, it's a beautiful building. It is. It's architecturally amazing. It was uh, I think it was like a science lab in Independence Day with Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger. Fun fact, <laughs> super versatile that library. But yeah, I would spend most of my my summers there if I wasn't like at summer camp or if I wasn't out of town. And you went to university in Vancouver as well, right? I did, yes. So I went to the University of British Columbia. I majored in psychology and I minored in English literature. When 
did you first kind of start to get interested in music? Did you kind of like having gone to school for psych, did you know that you would want to work in music after that? Or is that something that happened a little bit later? Honestly, like music had always been a part of my, my like childhood. I was like singing at the age of four, like singing in church kind of thing. And then was singing in choir and vocal jazz I was playing like trombone in high school and playing in vocal or uh, in jazz band in high school as well so like music was always like a passion of mine it was like a part of my identity but it it wasn't really like at the forefront of my mind as far as profession goes but yeah it was like a big part of my life it just wasn't like my career goal at what point did that kind of change for you or I guess what did you like what was your first job that you had outside after university? It's really funny. Um, I ended up working for this company called Perfume.com. It literally was in the exact same building that I'm in right now. So it was like 10 years ago. (laughs) In 2009, I was like in the office, like literally across the street from or across the hallway um, from the, the SoCan office that I'm in right now, which is wild. But yeah, so I was I was actually doing like customer service and I was doing marketing and data entry. It was nothing really related to psychology, but it was like the first job outside of university that like came up and I just grabbed it and ran with it. It was kind of a random gig. But yeah, then after that, that was like a seasonal position and then after that I was hired as an at-risk youth worker. Um so I was a support worker um, with at-risk youth in Surrey and Langley, and there were different group homes based in those two cities. And I would literally like live in the group home um, with the youth, um, and I would take them to appointments. I would take them to different activities. I'd try to engage them in hobbies and sports, and even like music. So actually, one of the girls I really bonded with, she was super talented super artistic, super musical. And I remember she used to like write poems and like turn them into songs. And then she'd like show me while I was cooking and then she'd start to like sing. And then I would like harmonize with her and then we would like sing together. And that was like our thing. So we like connected through music. And I just, I realized like how much of an impact music had um, just at like the heart level with, with these youth. And it was just kind of like my, my bridge to like connecting with with the with the youth that were like going through really tough tough lives yeah for sure so then what I guess from there got you first into music on a professional level so I basically bounced around from nonprofit to nonprofit. I was at a group home and then I mean it was a challenging job um, and it had high turnover high burnout so I left that after two years. I uh, went into settlement work. So I was working in Richmond with immigrants and refugees, helping them to adapt to their new life in Canada. Um, and then after that, I burnt out as well and just needed a change and needed sort of something lighter and like more positive, but still like wanted to make a difference and like change, quote, change the world. So I started working for this charity called Free the Children, and now it's called We Charity. And they put on this amazing youth empowerment event, and it's like a stadium tour, essentially, and it's called We Day. And so they hosted it all across North America, and they were breaking into the U.S. And so I was hired on to 
be an educational programming coordinator for the Washington team and bringing WeDay to Seattle. So Seattle was the first city that WeDay started to break into the U.S. And so when I was pulled into that event, I mean, it was super challenging to like get all these students and teachers on board because it was so new and it, it was obviously it's Canadian. So yeah, I just remember like tons of cold calling, tons of emails, like it was a crazy hustle. And it was three of us, three educational programming coordinators. And we were just kind of like going all across Washington state. I was like a, an outreach speaker. So I was going all across Washington state to like talk to the kids about this amazing event. Um, and all they needed to do was one local and one global action, whether that be awareness raising or fundraising. And then they would earn their their ticket to We Day. So I think it was about 14,000 students and teachers that filled the key arena in Seattle. And that was in 2013, spring of 2013, very first American We Day. And uh, for that day, um, we're all kind of appointed different tasks or different posts. And my manager actually put me onto the talent team. So I ended up wrangling kid president who at the time was like a viral YouTube star. Um, and he did like a pep talk and then, you know, actually met President Obama and like, it was amazing. And then I actually ended up like brushing shoulders with Macklemore, who I was like super into at that time. He was like super underground, but was like a Seattle rapper. Um, and and I was like really excited about him because he had like a different sound, different like message. And um, he was like repping like the West Coast and Pacific Northwest. So I was, yeah, super, a super fan. And then he ended up being like the headliner at the end of We Day. And my memory of like talent team wrangling was like wrangling little kid president up to the front of the stage to like touch his like favorite rapper, Macmore at the time. So like it was just like one of those cool moments where it just, it feels like it's like a dream coming true where like all of these like people that you're like watching on screen or like listening to on the radio, like they all become like real people. And then you're like actually like interacting with them. So that was like my brush with like live shows. And I got like bit by that, that excitement of like being a part of something so massive and kind of like building like relationships with influencers so whether that be like artists or like YouTube influencers politicians you know like I just saw how much impact can be made through like music and artistry and I just wanted to be a part of it so around that time my sister Kim Mortal she was starting to take off in her career and we used to actually sing together and I like would harmonize with her when she would perform and I actually sang on her first album Sincerity but she was kind of starting to take her music seriously and people were starting to book her. And obviously like me being the big sister and having like those maternal instincts, um, I was helping her along. And then she asked me to like formally take on management for her. Um, and so with like We Day and my sister, and at the time I was also um, dating a producer. So I was in like the home studio environment, pretty much 24 seven was surrounded by musicians and artists. So I just like, decided, you know, I'm approaching 28, like Saturn Returns is coming and maybe like it's time for a change and a, a chance to like reinvent myself um, and, and take on a new challenge. So 2015, I started my second run 
at post-secondary at Nimbus School of Recording and Media for their music business management program. That's awesome. Um, it's really interesting how like life just works like that sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. all of these like elements almost just like continually nudge you towards one thing. Yeah. It's like spontaneous, but it's also serendipitous at the same time. Like you kind like you maybe like subconsciously know that things are gonna pivot and you're gonna take a left turn plot twist, but like you don't consciously know, like you're not going around telling people like I'm gonna go into the music industry. Like I I also felt like at that time that that most people would think like it would be silly to enter the music industry, considering that people were converting. Like I remember being on Spotify before anybody because my friends boyfriend was working for an American company and yeah like I remember like having access to streaming and being like oh this is so cool but obviously like there's the implication that you know people aren't buying music as much as they used to and now they're just streaming it they're not actually like purchasing an album they're just like paying for a subscription or getting freemium and then listening to music for free or quote free right so so yeah it kind of seemed like um an unrealistic goal like to find a career in the music industry and make money and and turn it into a profession but I just felt like there were people in my life that were guiding me or like experiences in my life that were like guiding me onto that path and so I just kind of had to take that risk so I took the eight month uh, music business program Um, so it was the music business management program I think it's called something else now it's called Mind, the music industry program, but it was an eight-month program. So four months was 100 and just like an introduction. And then the second half of the uh, program was the 200. Um, and so it was more, uh, quote, advanced. It was only eight months. And yeah, I like, I remember like, <laughs> I remember being in um, a hotel in Vegas with my sister and my mom. And my sister just being like, you should do it. Like, just consider it, like look into different options, different schools. And I didn't think that I could like move away from my family at that time. So I was like, okay, well, what do we have in BC that offers music business courses? And then I happened upon Nimbus and it looked like the most legit. Um, And I went for a tour and I asked a ton of questions and I did a lot of research and it just, felt right and it made sense to me to go I think too like studying um from what I've learned anyways about the music industry in Canada and doing this project um in the short term is like the Canadian music industry seems really supportive of its members Mm -hmm. so it's kind of yeah you know regardless of whether or not of course like the formal like whether or not a formal education is like mandatory or important for you know, career X, Y, Z is like always a topic of debate, but it sounds like it's really worth it in Canada, especially doing these programs, just because the people that you meet, it seems like are really, really supportive of advancing the careers of the people that they talk to or helping in whatever way that they can. Totally, totally. Like there was obviously like the possibility of just learning on the fly, learning as I go, watching YouTube videos, reading books. But I think the main thing that I wanted to get out of Nimbus was the mentorship and being able to have mentors who knew me on a personal level and like believed in me and were able to like guide me and counsel me through through my journey um, into the music industry was key for me. And did you find that that 
like you were you were able to find that there then hey totally yeah yeah like I went I did um go for a tour and met instructors and one of the instructors that I met Jen Barker she like her face lit up when I walked in and I kind of feel like she saw like a younger version of herself when she met me and we talked on the phone after so I just kind of had that like gut instinct that I was in the right place and that she was going to kind of take me under her wing and she definitely did that. And then you went on after you graduated at Nimbus to go on and actually work for them as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was graduating. And then Jen Barker, my instructor, was like, you're not leaving. <laughs> you're going to stay. <laughs> I'm going to find you a job. So, um, yeah, so the the label manager at Business Class Records, which was the in-house record label at the school, he had moved on to another position. I believe he had a, a young child as well. So he had um, just a life shift. And so it was like the perfect time because I just graduated and literally like graduated and then started the next day label managing. And so it was just really great experience to get more hands on like work experience related to releasing music and like being able to go through that record cycle of like recording it, A&Ring it, releasing it, making sure that it goes to premier partners you know, social media marketing, getting it out to the audience, tracking its revenue, paying out the artists. We like had actual contracts that we signed for each of the singles that we released. So I did that a couple times before I stepped into a TA position at Nimbus as well. So I was label manager, then I was TA. And then my two uh, mentors, Jen Barker and Amalia Judith, they both had babies at the exact same time. And so I covered their mat leave and got to like level up even more by like teaching what I had like absorbed through TAing and through being a student. And it was just like monkey barring through (laughs) everything. Just like, okay, I could do this. Like it was quite a quick level up, I would say, but you can't help but like absorb everything and learn everything when you not only have to like teach it, but you also have to apply it to this like label that we were running. So it's like in retrospect, it's like, how did I do that in three years? Like that just seems so wild, but it was like a loaded three years. Like it was like day in and day out. Like I I don't, I don't think I slept (laughs) to be honest. I don't know how I could have slept because I was also managing my sister, Kim Mortal, um, and two other artists at the same time. So I I felt like an octopus. (laughs) I felt like like, I had like five, six different hats that I was rotating through throughout the day and like different brains that I had to step into. And so maybe I was like running on adrenaline for three years. Um, And then when the mat leave ended at Nimbus and I was looking into, you know, what was next, this position at SoCan opened up. So yeah, then I went for it and and now I'm here almost two years later. Yeah, that that is a really crazy three years. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know. 2015, I was a student. And by the end of 2017, I was an instructor. At yeah, Nimbus. as you were like saying that, I was yeah. like trying to look at like time in my head. I was like, oh, it's only 2019, but you're working for someone else. It was somewhere else now. And I was like, so wait, what? what? <laughs> yeah, crazy. yeah. It's cool though, at least I'm sure like, working for the label at Nimbus would have given you a lot of useful insight, I'm sure, for managing artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's so hands-on. It's like you learn it as you do it. And that's a lot of the industry. 
I get that. But like, it just, it definitely helped to have like a mentor or a couple of mentors who were like, yep, that's right. Or no, that's not right. You know what I mean? Like it, it was like less walking into walls, but I still had to like walk and like build the plane as I flew it kind of thing. I think as well too, like, I know, like for me, like my, I'm in business. So like, again, like a very, like a super general degree, but I feel like a lot of these programs, they just provide a lot of frameworks that like, of course, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, it's whatever. Like if you don't actually apply it or you do something that's completely different, you learn a lot on the job, but to be able to have a framework to problem solve with. Yes. A lot. Yes. A lot of it was framework. A lot of it was vocabulary, like rights and royalties and like some of the legal jargon and some of the accounting um, and just like terminology but yeah like the mentors the instructors they also were working in the industry so they were just kind of like sharing their experiences being in the industry like at present Mm -hmm, totally and then yeah just to be able to have points of contact when you're like help me yes exactly and like not only that but just I think the moral support because being like a woman of color in the music industry you know I look around at least here in BC I look around and most industry professionals don't look like me and don't have the same experience being a woman of color and you know it's it's almost like I I was taking the plunge and being bold by like being the minority and like being you know the trailblazer because like most of my family at least on like my mom's side they all pursued nursing and healthcare or something quote stable and so I was kind of like taking like a left turn away from like that that familiar narrative in my family um so it was just it was kind of nice to have like I guess like a mother figure and like a father figure I had like Alan Moy who manages 5440 so I have said he's like my music industry father and then Jen Barker um, my industry mother so yeah it's just it's good to have that sort of support system and that that community while you're you're doing something so out of the ordinary for people in your circles mm-hmm. 100% I totally relate because yeah, like my my mom's from Vietnam, so it was the like exact same kind of thing. She right. You ask right. when I'm planning to take the LSAT, but <laughs> no, I know my mom. My mom definitely thought that I was throwing my psychology degree out the window and wasting my education by going into this career. Um, but now I think she understands. You know, now she gets it. Like she knows I'm traveling around and meeting songwriters and producers and yeah I mean she still she thinks that SoCan is government still um and it's not it's a not-for-profit society so there's there's still like blind spots that I feel like my family just won't get but I mean I, I think that they get that it's like a legit industry to be in now that I'm full-time working in it a hundred percent and like even with the support like it is like not having those kinds of connections, I guess, within your own family to like know how to start mm-hmm. a career in the industry that you're interested in. Yeah, it's important to go out and find those yourself. Totally. Like that was part of my uh, motivation to get into it um, because my sister was, you know, pursuing it and 
didn't have anyone on the industry side like navigating for her or like no one like came up to her and was like I want to manage you right so like it was it was sort of like okay we're gonna do this together um and I remember like she took me to my first day of Nimbus because I was like I'm making a big mistake like this is not right like I felt like I was like walking down the aisle and like had cold feet and like needed to run down oh no the aisle and out of the church you know like I just was like oh no this is a this is a big mistake this is not where I belong like I pictured like dude bros and was like this is you know the opposite of like psychology which is mostly like women and um act very academic you know and so but yeah I remember going up the elevator with her and like like shaking and like my heart was like racing like pounding out of my chest and then I walk into the orientation room and I'm literally like one of two women um, and the only woman of color in the in the intake. And I was like, oh, no. OK. And I like look. Yeah. Like, OK, welcome. Day one, like complete plot twist. But then I looked at my sister and she was like, no, 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 you can do it. Go like you got this. And then she like disappeared and I sat down and was like, OK, I remember like standing and like holding the vinyl, I forget which vinyl it was, it was like classic vinyl. And I like put my hand on it and it was like, I was swearing on it, like it was the Bible. Like, I just remember that being the orientation, like so funny, so different from like UBC orientation. Um, yeah, completely different world. But yeah, actually uh, a couple years in, like at Nimbus, there were um, there were other women that were, working at the school, Christina Lau, Kentia Kirvan, and Bernadette Sackball. So there were a couple of other women that like joined the ranks and then I didn't feel so out of place there. But yeah, it, it seemed like I came like at the time where change was on the forefront. Like it was, it was, the tides were just turning. That's good. And that's an exciting time yeah. to be a part of as well. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to like, yeah, be part of the, sh- the big shift. The shift, yes. Which hopefully will shift for good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's time. Um, so today, to fast forward a bit, um, you are working as an AR rep for SoCan. So for anyone who doesn't know, what is SoCan and what does an A&R rep do? So SoCan is the Society of Composers, Authors, and Music Publishers of Canada. It is the PRO of Canada. Um, So essentially, we pay royalties on performances, public performances of music. uh, And we pay those royalties to our members every quarter. Um, And so performances, the definition of that um, would be live music performances, radio performances, online, so like streaming and views. as well as film and TV broadcasts. So when your music is played publicly or performed publicly, we're collecting license fees from all of those licensees using music out there and then converting those license fees into royalties, which we pay out to our members who are Canadian songwriters, producers, composers, and music publishers. So we have about 160,000 members all over the world. Most noteworthy being Drake in The Weeknd and Shawn Mendes and Alessia Cara. So um, we've got a ton of talent in, in Canada and around the world that are SOCAN. Um, and so the A&R rep at SOCAN, it isn't an A&R in the traditional sense. 
given that we're not a label and we're not a publisher, so we're not signing talent, talent actually signs up with us. So music creators, any music creator out there can sign up to be a member. And so part of my role as an AR rep is recruiting new up and coming talent. So songwriters or producers out there, I go and hunt them out and sign them up and make sure that their catalog, their repertoire, their music is registered. And then once that is registered, we're able to collect on their behalf and pay them out for those songs being performed or those works being performed. I can definitely see how your mom would think that so can is government. Because <laughs> can, can is in, in there. The word. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's in the name. <laughs> Must be. I mean, it's great. It's great benefits. It's got like some of those government job perks. I think it's like my mom works for the government. So she was like, oh, okay, that's, that's legit. Like, you know, she's like, okay, that's familiar. <laughs> Um, how did you get into that role? After all of my music industry experience, I went for the position. So like around the time that the mat leave was ending, I was like, okay, what do I do? And as we like touched on earlier, that's like going hard for three years and like potential burnout. Um, so when this job opened up, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like an amalgamation of all of the things that I already do. So part of the job, so I actually had like two friends like send me the job posting. I wasn't necessarily, like I didn't find it. It was actually brought to me. Um, So two of my friends were like, this sounds like you, like this job description sounds like exactly what you do. So um, it was like, okay, you got to be like current up on the like new music, um, hip hop, R&B, electronic, pop. Um, you need to, uh, be able to go to shows and scout talent. You have to have the ability to assess talent and be able to, uh, be a a people person. So you have to have good, like social skills and networking skills. And it's funny. I actually talked to an artist today who came to meet with me and I was like talking about my days in Richmond. I used to be a settlement worker. And part of my role as a settlement worker was finding newcomers and like going to malls and community centers and libraries and finding finding like newcomers to help them through our our settlement work program so I was like oh I can definitely scout talent and like go up to a stranger and talk to them because like that's what I used to do when I was settlement worker so yeah so part of it is like recruitment and then of course there's retention and repatriation so what that essentially means is members who are so can if they get international success Um, and they go to, say, the U.S. or the U.K., those societies out there will um, more often than not seem like an appealing um, society to sign up with. So in order for SOCAN to be able to negotiate license fees and increase the license fees so that royalties can also be increased and members can get paid for their, their music, we need to retain those top tier uh, internationally renowned uh, songwriters and producers. So in order to retain them, we've got to make sure obviously that they're recruited and they're signed up with SOCAN, um, but win them back essentially. So I have a lot of sales background. Um, So when I was at UBC, I was actually calling alumni to like fundraise for UBC. And I did like door-to-door sales back in the day when I was in university as well so it's a lot of like sales and like persuasion and just not even just persuasion it's it's like educating members on like why it's 
it's in their benefit to stay with SOCAN because at the end of the day, because SOCAN doesn't take off any international foreign revenue that comes in from other countries, you're going to like make the most amount of money, the most amount of royalties with SOCAN. So like, it's just like letting members know that that's the case because obviously you want to make the most money. And so, and yeah, and like letting members know about like our houses, we've got a house in Paris, we have a house in Nashville, we have a house in LA. So these houses are for members to stay in for free if they're out there doing business or they're doing co-writing and things like that. And then we've got like insurance, uh, auto insurance, instrument insurance, health insurance. We've got grant funding through the SOCAN Foundation. So there's just, there are so many benefits to staying a SOCAN member. So it's just sort of educating slash persuading members to stay um, with SOCAN. That's amazing that there are so many yeah benefits to being a member. Yeah. Um. So say like an artist. Yeah. Like how 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 does it sorry all work I guess so like how say you like scout an artist and then is it that they like pay so can like a membership fee or no 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 so there's actually no fee at all it's free oh wow to sign up with so can yeah yeah so it's totally free um and you just sign up online and then there's an email that you get at the bottom of the email a lot of people forget this or just miss this but there's a contract at the bottom of the email that you get from SOCAN when you sign up and um you're supposed to sign it and then send it back to us and then it takes about like a week or so before you get an email with your login and password and when you sign up um or when you log in rather and set up your account, then you register each of your songs into your catalog. And then that helps us track those songs when they're performed. And so like Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, any like satellite radio, like radio stations, television, film broadcasters, networks, they're submitting data that our system uploads. And we're able to go through that data to see if your song or your members are in there and then we're paying out based on like what we've tracked from that data okay that's amazing yeah so our head office in in toronto they have like a whole floor dedicated to distribution of these royalties and a whole floor like dedicated to like radio tv concerts online like any type of performance they're like tracking and like going through that data and converting that data into money so what does like a typical day kind of look like for you especially I guess when it comes to looking for talent like what what do you do Mm -hmm. a lot of it is online um so I'm pretty much 24 7 on social media and so I'll like be on Instagram um I'll be checking Twitter I'll be on YouTube I also have actual like real face-to-face interactions with artists and songwriters and producers when I go to shows so I I have for the past like five years been going to like two or three shows per week, like local shows, um, sometimes more than that. But yeah, that's like probably the average. So I'll like go out after the office day to a show and like support a local act um, who I see is like making amazing music. Or if I've heard like some buzz, then I'll go out and and then like meet them in person after the show and make that face-to-face connection but yeah a lot of it is online but but it doesn't replace like in-person connection 
That sounds exciting, but also incredibly tiring. (laughs) (laughs) It can be draining. It's, it's an industry where you have to like learn your boundaries and your limitations and know like when your body is saying like, no, stay home. But I definitely have a lot of energy and I've noticed like I am socially fueled. So like this type of job is like my element. Like this is, this is what I like live for. Um, But yeah, you definitely need like some time for like clearing your ear palate and like just having silence. So it's, it's good to sort of take breaks on the weekends when you can, or like, yeah, just take some time to like meditate and not like be in work mode. But I like, I love it. Like I love, I love listening to music and I love being at shows. And I used to write reviews for hip hop Vancouver. Um, That was like part of my internship while I was at Nimbus School of Recording Media and just like loved being there at, at shows. I think too, like it must be super nice to be able to have a career that allows you to do some things that you would have done anyways, but maybe if you were in a more quote unquote traditional mm-hmm. um, career path, it would have been, you probably yep. like, I mean, actually, I don't know this, but like you may not have made time for it or you could have felt too busy, but now that, yeah. you know, it's, of course it's still so busy, but at least you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a passion. It's like something that I would, yeah, normally do. And I love like helping people. That's like, that's part of who I am. So I definitely would still do this and like help my sister and like help other artists, um, even if I wasn't getting like paid for it. But yeah, the the amazing thing about this is that I'm getting paid and it's a full time gig. But yeah, I love it. Do you have any advice for someone interested in pursuing a career in music, whether that's, you know, as like an artist or more on the business end like yourself and how they can maybe get started? Um, What I've noticed, especially just like talking to young up and coming artists is uh, this like idea that you need to have a manager or you need to find a manager. Um, And a lot of these like young up and coming artists are maybe not at that point in their career where they should have a manager because that manager is going to be taking a percentage of your earnings and you might not even be earning that much at that point in time. So I think it's like knowing that you don't necessarily need a manager right off the bat, but like really focused on like the music because the music is the core. I think in this day and age with social media, like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and there's a lot of things that you can do um, in the studio or like post pro to like fix up your vocals and like really like overproduce a song but I think it comes down to like the basics of like creating an amazing song and like creating a memorable song so like focusing on the music first before you think about like your visual brand and like the memes that you like post and um <laughs> And like trying to find team, I think like team will kind of gravitate to you once you're putting out some fire, then like people will see the smoke and follow. So yeah, I think like this rush of like, cause I get a lot of people coming through being like, do you know a good manager? Or like, do you know a manager, someone who can manage me? That's like the most common question. And I would say nine times out of 10, like that's not the way to go about it. Like you have to focus on like making stellar music, like making music that people like feel connected to that people want to pay a ticket to go 
and see live, you know, and um, building that audience. So it's like, get like down to the basics, get down to the core first, and then like things will come to you and opportunities and team will come to you. So yeah. Um, and then for industry, I would say, like, if you're curious about going the industry route and you don't want to be an artist, I'd say, like, take on volunteer opportunities or internships, just anything that you can do to give you, like, that hands-on experience. Because while I was a student at Nimbus, I didn't really know. Like, I didn't think I would end up in an A&R position, which is, like, the title that's highly coveted in this industry. Um, although it is different being an A&R at a PRO compared to a label, but it's, uh, it's something that like comes through like experience. So like if you, you know, delve into experiences, even if it's unpaid at first, like that could eventually turn into an internship or it could turn into a job. So like kind of like testing the waters a little bit. Like I was I was doing data entry for this app that was supposed to streamline booking agent and promoter uh, interactions and deals. Um, and I remember like researching all the venues in BC, re researching all the promoters, researching all of the um, booking agents and like inputting all this data into spreadsheets and realized like, okay, I don't, I'm not a desk person. Like I can't just like stare at a screen and do spreadsheets all day, but it like helped me see the whole like landscape of like booking agents and promoters in BC and like kind of having like knowledge of who the players were. And then I was doing like social media marketing for this festival, this like EDM festival and was like really good at it and realized like, okay, like social media and like marketing was something that I, that was like, you know, easy for me to do. And I could do it like in my sleep. And then um, I was like selling merch at shows. So like, make a couple bucks and like get that like experience and was like realizing like the potential of like connecting to an audience through merch and if you don't have merch like you're screwing yourself over because you're losing like that connection to your audience and you're losing the revenue that you could be making through selling merch so like connecting with tour managers through that and like making connections through that so like yeah even though it might not be glamorous just say yes and see what happens and see what you learn and see what relationships you can get out of those like unpaid experiences. What's next for you, Raquel? Like, do you have any projects coming up this year or any big changes? Yes, always have something coming up. Um, so every two weeks I host these Song Camp Mondays. I pair up a songwriter, producer, and um, an artist in this room that I'm in right now, which is the... Um, studio slash writer room um and so that's every two weeks and you can apply online like submit yourself online it's free and I kind of like based on like your sound and your skills I, I pair people up and match make and then at the end of the day they perform the song and they've got like two new collaborators and a new song um so that's like yeah something that I've noticed is like really great at building community here in BC and making making members feel like, you know, they're not alone and they can try something new and meet new people and they're not going to die. So yeah, it's like super fun. So that's every two weeks. And then next month I will be at the CCMAs in Calgary, which is like the country music awards. And then I'm hosting a song camp with the CCMAs in January. I'll be at Breakout West in the Yukon in November and also 
going to be facilitating a songwriting workshop with Cause. He produced uh, The Black of the Berry by Kendrick Lamar. And he's produced a couple like Dua Lipa songs. So he's from the Yukon. And so he's going back home and we're selecting 12 songwriters to do like a two-day workshop with him in the Yukon, which is going to be amazing. And I've never been to the Yukon, so I'm excited. And then, yeah. And then in the coming year, I will be moving into the SoCan Toronto office to fill a mat leaf, another mat leaf. So, so yeah, I'm excited for that. That's so exciting. And lastly, where can people find you? So you can follow SoCan at SoCan Music. And you can also follow me at Yes Lioness. Amazing. Well, that is all I have for you today. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm excited. Open up my portal. Ooh, that's what I said. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And thanks again, Raquel, for coming onto the podcast. I've linked to this week's show notes in the description so you can check those out for photos and other media on the topics that we discussed, such as Song Camp Mondays. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. They really do help. And of course, if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, please either email me at offkey at membran.net or send me a message at either Membran Labs or Linsa Arnold on Instagram. Offkey and Fault Tolerant, our sibling podcast on tech and blockchain, are both produced by Membrane Entertainment Canada, aka Membrane Labs, a music services company that provides distribution services for the export of Canadian music. We're also exploring blockchain technology to create a more transparent and secure ecosystem for music rights owners to get paid. If you're interested in recording your own podcast at Membrane Labs, you can find out more information on our website, www.membranelabs.com. The song that played in the intro and that has been playing throughout the outro of the episode is Portal by Kim Mortal. But that is it for today. I will see you next week for our season finale where I'll be talking to the Sunset Kids. But for now, here's Kim Mortal with stars. Thank you.
Awaken the spirit, awaken the lyrics Projected in the future, sharpshooter, computer, producer Signal to the universe, signal in reverse Unrehearsed, protected by Thunderbird Sky world, two words, Wi-Fi, password Rap superstars, memoirs, we are all made of stars We are all made of stars We are all made of stars, yeah Immigrants dancing the star 